Hello dear listeners and happy new year. I wish everyone to have a better 2021 in any way you want to measure it. I am well rested after the Christmas break and Shifal is back with another episode, the first of three that will focus specifically on EdTech in the Sheffield region. This one is with Duncan Berry, who is the CEO of Verisupply, a startup that makes supply teaching better for both schools and teachers. Duncan has loads of experience both in recruitment and education and getting his insight on EdTech the world of supply teaching, but also education in general was very interesting. Duncan is part of Twinkle Hive, a local accelerator, and I'm happy to announce that my next guests will be representatives from Twinkle Hive itself, and after that I'll be talking to another founder, whose startup is part of the Hive. A little more information on what's to come for Shivali after the episode, so for now, enjoy the show. So I'm here today with Duncan Very. Morning Duncan, how are you? I'm very good, thanks, Stanislav. Good morning to you too. Morning, thanks a lot for, for coming to my podcast. Uh, it's a r- real pleasure. Um, uh, say, um, we're now uh, based up in, in Sheffield and I'm um, really trying to be part of the community up there and, and certainly trying to help out in the um, startup scene. Perfect. Well, that's that's the whole point of, around Chief Valley and also I'm happy that we're, we're perfectly aligned. So I want to start uh, with asking you to tell us a little bit more about yourself before Air Supply. Yeah, it was a, a well-trodden route. I, I, I travelled around the world after graduating, went to lots of different countries, then came back, had to get a job, um, moved to London. Um, and, and that's actually my first job was in recruitment, but it was um, quite um, senior level uh, recruitment, um, re- recruiting sort of partners and very senior level consultants or the big management consultancies. And, and, and that's... Um, a recruitment company that I work for uh, then merged with a number of other HR companies, a group of companies, to form one company that covered all of the sort of talent life cycle. So they had um, nine companies that were all involved in either recruitment, performance, assessment, coaching, uh, and, and outplacement. Um, uh, and it was quite unique in its time to, to, to look at HR in that way uh, rather than just um, a sort of um, very individual uh, approach to specific areas of the whole talent management uh, arena. Um, I spent five years in Dublin. I helped set up the, the, the Dublin office uh, and then came back to London and was uh, sort of managing director of one of the, 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 the big business units there. And, and, and then I moved actually to uh, Tez Global, uh, or I think it was still Times Education Supplement, at that time um, in their London office to lead their head teacher recruitment uh, business. So this was sort of search and selection around head teachers as, as they were becoming much harder to, to find. Um, uh, it, I took on more and more responsibilities in the um, uh, few years that, that I was there and, and, and ended up looking after um, all of Times Higher Education. So I've done a lot of work in the HE space, um, helping grow the um, Times Higher World University rankings. Uh, looked after the FE uh, sector, the international schools sector, and, and all of the uh, events and non-recruitment advertising. And that was a real sort of um, intense period where, where Tez went through a lot of growth and, and through a, a acquisition by TPG Capital. Uh, and that was my first exposure to um, marketplaces. T- TPG had this idea, and at the time, this is going back six, seven years now, um, everyone was looking at marketplaces. Uh, Uber were just starting to grow. 
and everyone was thinking of an Uber for this, an Uber for that, and, and um, TPG had the idea of an Uber for supply teachers. Um, uh, but we never really advanced the idea after looking at it quite closely. Um, I spent another couple of years at another small education media business, um, and then I heard that um, Founders Factory, which is another accelerator based in London, uh, set up by um, Brent Hoberman and um, Henry Lane Fox of um, lastminute.com uh, and backed by a number of um, really interesting corporates. Um, that they were looking at this sort of Uber for supply teachers idea and they needed somebody to lead it. And we got together, talked it through and, um, uh, and, and that's how um, uh, supply came about. Okay, so this is, when did it happen? Can you tell us more about why did it happen? Like, was it, uh, was it just you hearing about this idea, you know, Uber for supply teaching or did you, did you have like an underlying uh, mo- motivation that was driving you yeah, towards I mean, that business? After working, after working on the idea uh, a little bit at um, Tez, the idea I felt was a really good one, but, but TPG decided they were going to approach the supply teaching market in a different way. Um, I was by then a school governor and I could at first hand see the inefficiencies of the sort of school admin team getting in early at seven o'clock in the morning to book supply teachers. I could see the costs of those supply teachers and, and you know, knew that those teachers were unhappy. So this all started to take shape, um, you know, with Founders Factory uh, three years ago, three and a half years ago. But they, uh, one of their corporate uh, backers of the Founders Factory is um, The Guardian. And The Guardian had similarly been saying that they were forever writing in the newspaper that some schools were unhappy, that they were paying so much for supply teachers, uh, but the teachers themselves were unhappy because they weren't getting paid much. And it was because the, the market had become to be dominated by agencies offering a very sort of traditional sort of analog um very opaque model of working um uh, and we felt with the technology that was available at the time uh, and the fact that marketplaces were starting to grow that this was um, uh, a good idea to, to take forward and one that i had some previous knowledge of and so we got together and um and, and launched our supply as i'm from bulgaria i'm not really aware of how the uh, the uk education system works because in because in bulgaria as far as i know we just have you know schools and then schools employee teachers on a on a permanent basis and and that's it is uh, what's different about supply teaching and could you just explain it uh, a little more to people like me who are not completely aware of it of course yeah yeah it's similar model that there are about sort of 450,000 permanent teachers you know um you go in day to day to schools um who are assigned to a specific class if it's um, primary school or you know they focus on subjects if it's a secondary school but you're going to get teacher absences you're going to get illness you're uh, going to have teachers who are required to go off for training so we're going to be away for a day or two we have teachers that are going off on maternity leave or long-term sick leave you know, um, either short term or prolonged periods of absences. And schools don't have the, um, uh, the breadth of staff pool to be able to replace them with um, uh, teachers from within the um, existing um, staff numbers. Um, so, so they look for supply teachers. Um, so, and th- th- so this may be, you know, at seven o'clock in the morning, they've got a message on the answer phone that the 
year five teacher is ill and so they need a replacement because the children are coming in in an hour and a half's time so they've got to find a teacher to come in and teach for for at least that day and cover for that teacher uh, obviously for longer term absences and maternity cover um, they're looking for somebody to cover maybe up to two terms uh, or, or a year or, or sometimes longer but but also that there's some sort of downward pressure on um, the government's sort of recruit, recruitment targets of um, sort of between 30 and 40,000 new teachers entering the profession each year because obviously there's a, a percentage are retiring and leaving the profession each year uh, and they've been missing those targets um, uh, on recent years so it's also creating gaps where schools are, are, are failing to recruit teachers into permanent roles that's not finding the right teacher not the right skills there's a, a lack of teachers in science subjects foreign language subjects uh, and you know a greater number of subjects are sort of coming on the list of sort of hard to find uh, subject teachers um, so they're looking towards um, temporary cover to give themselves more time to, to, to be able to, to, to recruit. Um, so there are a number of reasons of sort of lack of availability of permanent teachers in the market and a whole range of different absences that will cause the need for a, um, uh, a school to, to require what's called a supply teacher. In America, they call them substitute teachers. Uh, in Australia, they call them casual relief teachers. Most countries have some kind of model of, of replacement teachers, um, uh, but uh, in the UK, it's it's supply teaching. And when you say that Air Supply was built on the model Uber for supply teachers, I would assume that you know Air Supply is Uber, and then the clients are the schools and the drivers are the teachers. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, that's right. Um, so uh, we have it's a dual-sided marketplace. So we have um, schools um, sign up. We have all, all their information, and, and we're matching postcodes. So school buildings typically have been there for you know tens of, if not hundreds, of years. And um, there's a, a government database that has all this information as to, to, to where they are. We take all that information, match the school to 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 that information, and then we've got teachers signed up in in the areas of, of those schools, and we're matching postcode and telling the teacher how far the school is, what the school is, where it is, and, and matching skills, you know, subject areas or particularly particular year groups that that teacher may have taught. Yeah, it, we were sort of optimizing what we call that sort of match and dispatch of um, uh, school location and um, uh, expertise of teacher. When we're talking about the teachers, the supply teacher specifically, what would you say uh, is, the, is, there, is there benefit in using air supply rather than rather than a more traditional method yeah yeah there is that the, the um it's it's a sort of classic disruptor model um you know we, the schools pay less if they book supply teachers through air supply um and the teachers get paid more so it's both sides sort of win or are benefiting we uh, allow teachers to set their own rates uh, rather than the traditional agencies will tell them what they're paying them uh, and those agencies thrive on the model that the school doesn't know what the teacher is being paid and the teacher doesn't know what the school is being charged. Um, so the agency is obviously trying to keep that gap as wide as possible because that's their margin uh, in the middle. We don't think that's a good use of um, public funds, that, that lack of transparency. So we're very clear about um, what we're charging the school. The, the teacher will, will know that, be able to calculate that. The teacher gets to set their own rates. So it's usually... 
£30 a day more than they're typically getting for an agency. So we work on the model that school will probably save well, 30 to 50 pounds per day. Teacher will get 20 to 30 pounds per day more, and we take less margin in the middle. But we've got a much more scalable model. I mean, most agencies have developed over the last 20 years, so they have lots of staff, they have lots of branch offices everywhere, high operating costs. Um, and because you know we're delivering more through the technology doing the work, which is already built, um, uh, we can charge them um, uh, lower margins and, and allow more of the overall fee and a greater share of the work to, to, to be shared between the, the school and the teacher. Have you had any problems with these traditional recruitment agencies that you're talking about? Have you made any resistance? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, th- I think they're all looking at some, and particularly after the, the year that we've had, um, you know, working in offices is probably um, seems being less required. Um, do they need all of these branch offices? Uh, I, I'm not saying that, that they are all looking, um, to our knowledge, at technology um, and an increased sort of digitization of what they do. But it's hard to do that without being sort of transparent and, and, and open. And, and they make more of their money through not being transparent and not being clear with either the teacher or the school. On, on you know what their fee is and what the teacher's getting so yes I mean that they none of them want us to succeed um, uh, and haven't had any sort of direct <laughs> confrontation with, with any of them but um, yeah clearly I, I think they're watching us and companies like us and that there are a few that are, are seeing some success and um, just working out what their next move is. And talking about 2020 Obviously, it's been a difficult year for everyone. Everything's changed. But one of the areas that's been most affected is exactly education and schools. So how did COVID-19 affect air supply in the sense that, you know, schools were closed for quite long and mm. uh, there is a lot of a lot more safety regulations and things to things to follow through? Yeah, it's, it's look, it, it's been difficult for, for us. It's been a challenging year but it's been much more difficult for the schools themselves. So, you know, we're hugely um, uh, sympathetic to our uh, schools that, that we work with and the constant changes and adjustments that they've had to make. And also for the supply teachers who've had less work than they would normally have, and many of them have chosen to leave permanent teaching jobs in the past few years um, for more flexibility of life, knowing that there's, there is enough supply teaching work to keep them busy. Well, this year has been uh, exceptional. And in many areas, uh, it's it's been um, much less busy than, than it would have been. Yeah, the, the schools are open for nine months of the year, and um, the the year sort of fell into three sort of different parts for us. The first three months we were busier than than ever before. Twenty third of March, schools locked down. Um, the next um, three months, or, or really through to September, so the next six months, were very quiet. Schools were closed. Some of our teachers were still working because um, schools remained open in part for key workers. And um, so the June and July, they were open uh, for some year groups in primary schools. And um, then the sort of um, final third of the year, so September through to, to um, Christmas, um, we started to get back to where we were um, at the beginning of the year, but it was very, very different. Um, some schools were really trying hard not to let visitors and supply teachers onto site because they didn't want to risk transmission of um, uh, of COVID um, from visitors on the school site. But but some of our schools were busier than ever because of um, lots of different absences 
uh, and some teachers that were being shielded from within their permanent staff. So they're looking for longer term sort of regular replacements for them. We're expecting it was really tough. I mean, the, 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 the changes and that schools had to make have had a huge amount of um, work sort of stress and strain on uh, the existing workforce of, of, of teachers. So I, I think it's going to be really hard for schools to continue to try and not let visitors and supply teachers onto site. I, I think and we're expecting higher levels of absence. Um, some might be COVID related, some not during the um, next uh, term, sort of from January through to March. Um, and already we've, we've seen signs of, of, of looking like we're going to be a lot busier. That's good to hear. So let's talk about education, because in the end of the day, supply teaching is teaching. Like it's still the, it's still the teaching job, mm. albeit uh, on a on more flexible basis. And, you know, I think that when it comes to teaching, when we talk specifically in the media and in front of other people, obviously everyone says that it's it's one of the essential jobs and I completely agree with that but then you know when you go to schools you see that the teaching profession doesn't get quite the respect that it that it really needs to what's what do you think are the the areas that needs the most improvement in terms of the teaching job how it gets treated this has been an interesting year in terms of the way it has promoted key workers uh, to be sort of heroes within our um, society which um, has not been seen before or not been seen to the extent that, that it should have been. I think the, um, the amount of training and, um, uh, that some um, teachers um, go through and the role that they play within our society probably does demand, um, uh, and the additional hours that they uh, are having to do um, in terms of planning and preparation, uh, adjustments to COVID, easy to say that um you know that they, they merit a, a pay rise you know that, that that whole um national structure should be looked at but that's going to be really difficult for the next few years i i, I think the public budgets are going to be um, extremely tight i think more should be done to uh, encourage people uh into teaching not, not just at the sort of graduate stage but even those um uh, that, that have experience within the wider sort of commercial world of work. Uh, I've, I've seen people enter teaching from previous commercial jobs and, and be hugely um, uh, successful. Um, uh, I think um, uh, always during a downturn in the economy, which I, I think we might foresee for, for some time, um, it can be a good time for the sort of slightly more safe haven jobs of, of teaching to, to recruit. And I do think that... Um, not just the recruitment drive, plus the plus better um, uh, benefits uh, for, for teaching, and that there needs to be a better sort of PR job around teaching as a profession to attract um, things. There have been good things done uh, around this um, within the UK, um, things like Teach First, taking some of the higher performing graduates out of the better universities to then go and teach in some of the tougher areas. But, but more of that needs to be done to encourage um, people into teaching. Education tech, uh, you know, ed, ed tech is exploding. It was exploding before the COVID, but even this year, there's been there's been rise. There's more and more startups in that in that industry, and you being you being part of it with air supply. What do you see as the current trends in ed tech in the UK and you know even worldwide? Yeah, w- w- one of the results of, of COVID is, is that it. Sort of helped 
promote online learning and put it into a spotlight that it could never have hoped for or dreamt of before. I mean, it really um, forced schools. It was like a forced experiment for schools to change and try and pick up a model of um, delivering remote learning in uh, double quick time uh, as, as well. Um, so I, I think we're seeing that that sort of uh, organising of um, curriculum and resources to enable schools and teachers to be able to deploy remote learning but leave no child left out those that don't have access to the right technology um, or who need in particular support and I think we're going to see that develop more and more because I think um, people will be more aware of you know this is the first pandemic I think um, uh, to hit certainly the, the UK since the end of the first world war the Spanish flu I mean this is sort of a real opportunity for schools and the edtech community to get together with regards to remote learning and um, push forward and, and do something um, unique that uh, means schools won't have to um, worry or um, quickly adjust in the way that they had to um, uh, this year and they'll have something in place so that the learning can be much more um, uh, continuous and, and there's more of maybe a, a seamless link between the sort of homework and, and what goes on in the in the classroom, so I, th I think those have um, been one of the sort of big areas. Um, in in 2019, actually, the, the sort of then UK government came out with a, a list of um, uh, challenges for the edtech community to try and answer. These were sort of quite big areas of administration, assessment, teaching practice, continuous professional development and, and learning through life, a big, big areas of education that they invited and a number of sort of challenges within those areas for the edtech community to, 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 to meet. Um, I still think on the administration side, one of the um, things around schools, and this is one that we're trying to, to, to answer, teachers spend a lot of time and a lot of um, uh, emotional energy on the stuff that is around teaching but isn't teaching uh, and I think there are uh, uh, tools and platforms that can make the administration around running a school and teaching a, a, a lot easier uh, and I'm expecting those to be able to develop to take some of the pressure off teachers so that they're not leaving the profession and it remains um, a um, really exciting job uh, for them to do and um, it allows them to focus on teaching uh, and not um, spend all the time dealing with other stuff. Talking about remote learning, I've actually met uh, people with very, very different opinions about remote learning, some very supportive of it and some, you know, not really supportive of it in terms of that they think remote learning is really not uh, delivering the same experience as obviously being in the classroom. What, do you think there's anything about remote learning that's inherently better than classroom learning? And do you think there's anything that remote learning cannot uh, bring to the same level as classroom learning? Yeah, I think I, think I would look at it differently. I, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think anything can replace the um, interaction that a, a child can have with a teacher in a classroom, but, but also with their peers. I, I think it's really handy to have other uh, children in the class working alongside you, working in a small project group, working in pairs. That, that is a really um, exciting uh, and stimulating environment for children to, to, to work in. And, and I don't think remote learning will replace teachers uh, um, and, and I wouldn't want it to. 
but sort of have to accept after this year that there are going to be occasions um, when children are, could be out of the classroom for extended length, lengths of time or there's additional work that they have to do and um, the sort of setting of homework or remote learning for exceptional circumstances that, that may come up. I, I think that there could be improvements there and, um, and, and maybe even to facilitate um, the, the, the teacher. I mean, it, teacher absences, there can be a variety of reasons for, for teacher absences, but it, it might be that um, the teacher feels that they could still deliver something in the classroom remotely. So it might be that the children are in the classroom and the teacher is remote. Um, and we've got a couple of examples of where that might be happening in the new year um, as, as a result of, of COVID. So I, I don't see sort of teaching in the classroom or remote learning as an either or. I, I see them sort of working together, um, but being led by the, the, the teacher. I think the classroom experience is, is, is first and foremost, but the remote learning and the technologies with it have caught up significantly in the last few years to be able to create much more of a, a, a seamless link. And, and Google Classrooms, I think, is a really good example. And it's something my children use, you know, that they, they're using it in the classroom with the teacher and then they're using it for their homework. So there's a much more seamless um, uh, link between what goes on at home and what goes on in the classroom. Uh, and they have much easier access, I guess, to their teacher. Um, through Google Classrooms out of hours. Air Supply is based in Sheffield. So tell us what it is like to being part of the local ecosystem and also being part of Twinkle Hive, which is an EdTech accelerator in Sheffield. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really exciting for us. Um, we, we have got a, an office in, in London as well, but um, it was really exciting for, for me personally um, to um, uh, sort of be part of um, the Twinkle Hive and, and the Sheffield startup scene. Uh, on a personal basis my wife's family is from Sheffield and um, you know lived in that area for years and years and years and her dad ran sort of industrial businesses in, in Sheffield in what would be seen as the the old traditional industries of, of Sheffield so it's really exciting to be back and talking to them about Sheffield they don't live there anymore but talking to them about Sheffield and how it's changed and the kind of businesses and what they're involved in there which seems sort of many um, years away from when they were there and the, the types of businesses that they were involved in but obviously be, being part of, of, of Twinkle Hive it, it's it's always been important to me to, to, to be involved in a business that is sort of doing good um, uh, you know is really trying to make a difference um, and um, uh, I think when we first met with, with, with Tunkle, we got such a strong sense that that was their uh, driver um, and to be part of an accelerator that, you know, is, is focused on um, mission driven businesses, most of them in education, but, but, but some of them um, are, are not in, in education, but, but all, you know, driven by a, a, a single purpose and a, a, and a strong mission. <laughs> Unfortunately, we've not had time to be in the office much this year um, because the office has, has been closed. But the, the couple of months that we did get to spend there and obviously the, the online calls that, that we've been having with various parts of Twinkle and the other businesses uh, like Learning Ladders and Natter Hub and, and Champion Health. It, it's really exciting to, to be surrounded by people that are, are driven by doing good um, and um, it, it makes it a lot easier to um, share uh, knowledge and networks um, and ideas uh, and, and it fosters a, a really um, a creative uh, environment. So um, 
that, that alone makes it an inspiring place to, to work and makes it easier for both me and, and, and obviously all of my team to um, get up and, and, and do a day's work at home in the same sort of surrounding that people have been in for, for the last nine months or so, because um, you feel driven by, by what's going on there. On, on a more practical and economic basis, um, every marketplace is, is looking for network effects and, and, and looking for big distribution channels to get more of both sides of their marketplace. And to have a, a, a business like Twinkle with such a, a, an admired and loved brand within the, the education sector, to, to be able to provide services for us and, and facilitate that, those channels and, and, and that growth is it's a real it's a unique opportunity and, and, and um, uh, one that's really exciting us. And, and we've started with teachers. We recently, just before um, uh, the end of term, um, started with schools. And we're already starting to see the benefits of being able to market behind um, the Twinkle Hive brand and, and, and access um, their audience in a, in a positive way. Let's talk about funding. Have you been funded until now? And how important do you think funding is for a startup? Yes, we have. So we've raised um, t- two rounds of, of funding. As a startup in Founders Factory, you start with a, a tiny bit of pre-seed funding, um, which probably at best would last you sort of six months. And, and, and it's basically to, to give you enough time to maybe hire one or two other individuals and um, raise your first round of funding. So our first round of funding was um, uh, SEIS funding. So that's a sort of very sort of um, uh, tax um, lucrative um, funding for investors. And um, most startups can raise up to 150,000 of that. So we raised that and a little bit more. Uh, that was back in September 2018. And then um, our next round was just before lockdown. So that was the round that was led by Twinkle Hive, but also a number of EIS uh, investors uh, came in. And uh, look, I think um, uh, funding is, is really important, obviously, to scale and, and, and grow your startup. But I think for us, it's also brought a number of, not just in Twinkle, um, but in a number of other investors. And I think education particularly attracts these sorts of investors that have real knowledge and, and a passion for the sector. And they bring a huge amount of wisdom and advice, connections and networks, um, ideas um, and counsel that is really important and, and certainly makes being a founder a, a, a less lonely place. Because I'm not saying it can't be done, you know, if you don't raise funding. I think it's a it's certainly a harder route, but but less on on the funding in terms of the capital itself. It's more about it's good to share your ideas with people that might be from different sectors or at different stages of their careers, have different levels of experience, to be able to bounce those ideas off and validate the things that you're doing. I think we're really fortunate with the um, um, set of investors that, that we have, that many of them have good knowledge of both startups and also um, education as well, which helps give me as the uh, founder and CEO a, a really different set of perspectives to, to be able to um, sort of, say, road test our ideas and our strategies on going forward. What advice would you give to startups in Sheffield that are looking for, for investment? It depends what stage they're at. I, I certainly think uh, SEIS funding is, is uh, say, it's um, uh, it, it's, a, it's a very good tax break for people that are wanting to invest their, their money. So um, less is risked, and there are lots of SEIS funds 
that can fund startups of up to you know up to 150,000 EIS funding as well that, that similarly that there are lots of funding um, lots of funds uh, available uh, to provide you know at a higher level of funding so I, I think it's um great to feel that you have a hundred percent of your business or your idea as a founder but it's um you know it's worth a lot more if you can have a smaller stake but a real chance of, of growth and backing and have that advice and counsel that you can get from uh, investors so I, I would certainly seek the SEIS funds I think there's um a lot of investment funds available right now um, and I think they are looking for technologies that they think will be able to benefit as a result of the way they think the world will change post-COVID. So I think it's a, a really exciting time to be able to take your idea to um, a, a range of investors. It, it you, you know, we'll need to speak to, to lots typical to speak to well over 50 investors to to, to get one to, to to invest depending on on your idea and how much you're, you're looking to raise but it's, it's it's a good experience it's it's hard work but it's a, it's a good experience to go through because it helps you really hone your proposition by virtue of you having to um, uh, repeat it and present it on numerous occasions to to, to, to people and after each one, you'll get asked questions that you wouldn't have thought of that you really think, yeah, we haven't considered that as a business. We need to go back and get an answer for that or, or, or think of a strategy for that. So I think it's a, a really good experience um, to, to, to go through. And, and I, yeah, I, I, I'd recommend it. If people can bootstrap their businesses, great. But, but it's, it's, it's very rare that at some point you won't need to raise some kind of funding. Now, Duncan, I'd like to proceed with the five questions that I ask all of my guests, if that's okay with you. Sure. So what book would you recommend to entrepreneurs and people that want to build their own startup? Yeah, it's, it's a pretty obvious one, I'm afraid. Uh, it's the first one that sort of convinced me, I think, to leave the slightly more corporate world and, and start thinking about smaller businesses and, and startups. And it's the, it's the Lean Startup by uh, Eric Ries. Um, I was also very fortunate to... Um, uh, as I left Tez Global to um, uh, do a week's course at Harvard, which was the first course on digital strategy and the economics behind digital businesses. And it was based on the Lean Startup and partly written by uh, uh, Eric Reese, who's, who's now at Harvard. And that was a really stimulating week for me to be able to see the development of ideas into startup businesses and the economics behind how digital businesses uh, scale and 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 monetize their ideas. So that would be the one book that I'd recommend. But but I would also anyone who's interested in marketplaces, uh, there's a, a venture capitalist called NFX, um, Pete Flint, who's at xlastminute.com. Um, NFX are based in the states, but they write quite a lot of essays and articles on marketplaces, and uh, they're free and then they're well worth a, a look. I agree with you. And also, uh, when it comes to marketplaces, Anderson Horowitz, A16Z, yeah. uh, I follow them on LinkedIn and they they also just post a lot of interesting things on their website and on LinkedIn, uh, which is you know connected to marketplaces. So one another very good resource. Yeah. And, and you know, it was, it was a quote from them that um, really sort of convinced uh, us at the end of our first sort of year uh, at Air Supply that actually we're, we're we really are in the right space. I, I can't remember the exact quote, but 
that they're, they're saying that the next era of marketplaces will be, I think there's 125 million jobs in the US that, that are classified as sort of professional services jobs in what they call the regulated sectors. And that's our market. Obviously, we're focusing on education first, but um, that the broader um, idea behind what we're doing is that there are a number of regulated professionals, care workers, doctors, nurses, teachers, accountants, lawyers, that if people want to access them quickly, they'll, they'll need to be able to allow them to access them through a marketplace. And they need to understand quickly that those people have the right um, certifications that they need to, to do what they're doing, but also to get some sense of their quality as well. So you're not taking testimonials or relying on where they rank on Google. And, and that's um, uh, not going to be easy. But um, yeah, a, uh, uh, Andrew Horowitz um, really think this is going to be the next development in, in marketplaces. And this is where we want to be. The next one is a bit is a bit obvious, but still, why did you choose the name Air Supply? I think it was the um, it, it, it's the frictionless nature behind what we provide. Uh, you know, the air is the the frictionless nature, and the, the supply is the provision of something, and not necessarily supply teachers. But we like to refer to our supply teachers as teachers. You know, they're the same qualifications. Many of them have got good long teaching experience. That they're no different, no less qualified than teachers in in permanent roles. They're just choosing a different way of working. But Schools need to know what you're about. Um, so having supply um, uh, in our title really helps as well. So we mix the sort of air and the, and the supply and obviously businesses like Airbnb, Airtasker, that there were others uh, using a sort of similar approach. Um, but that's how we came up with it. What is one place in Sheffield that everyone should visit? Yeah, I, th- I think there are many and Sheffield's changing all the time, but um, I'm gonna, I enjoy sport. I enjoy football. But I'm going to say uh, the Crucible. Uh, I think I sort of grew up in my youth uh, watching um, snooker. Uh, and um, I, I think it's some sort of unique place. Um, if people can ever get back to um, watching sports events in, in any great numbers again, yeah, go and see a bit of Sheffield sporting history and go for the Crucible. If you had 15 minutes with your 20-year-old self, What would you tell him? Probably start with saying, don't be frightened of starting your own business. I think it was harder when I was 20 than it is now. There's lots more support available, um, advice, networking schemes, mentoring schemes, accelerators to be able to provide provide a really supportive community. I, I think it's important to know you don't have to be able to execute all the ideas yourself. Uh, you always say surround yourself with, with, with good people. But don't think that all of the good ideas you have for your business, for your idea, whatever it is, you don't have to execute. You don't have to have the answers to all of them. How is this going to be done? Build a team around you with different skills and competencies that can help them make your vision a reality. And my final question is for you to tell me one big, hairy, audacious goal for air supply. Simply, we want to completely change the way that companies, particularly public sector institutions, access regulated certified professionals, and be that in time on a permanent basis, certainly on a temporary basis, currently teachers, possibly other um, professional workers in, in, in the future. Uh, we think we've, we know we've found a way that we can quickly identify, record, 
all the kind of competencies that they have, the certifications that they need, and then allow the um, client to be able to sort of match and dispatch, you know, a, a regulated worker. But then also the platform learns the choices that their client or school is making and um, repeats those choices. You know, I think it's just going to help bring transparency to the public sector and save um, you know, huge amounts of uh, time and money for, for, for those that are involved in the recruitment. Okay, Duncan, it was very interesting to talk with you about education and air supply. Thanks a lot for your time. Thanks, Denisa. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And as promised, here's an announcement that I haven't shared around yet. I have been working on a webpage for Shiv Valley, which I want to use for more than just marketing for the podcast. My idea is for Shiv Valley to be the designated space for people to go when wanting information about startups in Sheffield, be it graduates looking for jobs or VCs looking to invest in the area. The idea is still under development and there will be soon a page to gather interest and see whether startups and their founders would actually be interested in being part of something like this. As said before, my goal through Shiv Valley is to increase the connectedness in the local startup ecosystem and having met a lot of support, I believe a website would be an appropriate next step. Subscribe to the podcast if you're listening on Spotify or to my Twitter account if this is how you found it. And stay tuned because there's more episodes to come very soon. Now enjoy the rest of your day.